Ah, oh, good morning, everyone. We good, Mark? Thanks, man. Good morning. Good to see you. And, uh, and just to reiterate again, happy Father's Day one more time, especially to all the, the ladies with us today. Just, uh, just tremendous Father's Day to you. And uh, um, we're going to get started. It's our last week, believe it or not, of questions you never thought you could ask in church. Um, just kind of in a moment uh, of vulnerability to get us started. I, my soul's kind of conflicted today. I don't know if you ever wake up and have those days or, or just those moments, not even per se for any identifiable reason, but just, mm. so I need to pray. How about you? If you need to pray, you can join with me. If you don't need to pray, just like watch and throw things. All right, but let's pray. Uh, God in heaven, come and still our souls if they're racing. Uh, calm our hearts if they're conflicted. God, stir within us in all the right ways. You are a God who gives peace, which surpasses all understanding. You say it's something that'll guard our hearts and our minds. So you said it. It's true. May we hold on to that, that you are guarding our hearts and our minds. And in you, we have nothing to fear. In you, there is goodness and grace and everlasting mercy. In your name, amen. Last week of questions. We have so many from the previous weeks that I'm going to try to get through today. But on top of that, um, live texting is opening again. I invite you to take out one of these, all right? Take out your cell phone. And through the next 30 minutes, give or take, I'm going to invite you to text in any questions you have on God, church, life, spirituality, Christianity, the Bible, fellowship of faith, me, you know, anything's fair game here, and I will do my, my absolute best job to try to answer these in real time right here today on the spot. Um, so far for the past two weeks, I mean, just, just the breadth and depth of things that have been coming in have been incredible. Um, and I feel like every time we do this, we're just scratching the surface, but every time we get under it, there's more and more and more. How amazing is that, right? So text your questions in. And let's pick up with some from last week while you start getting it set. Here's one that we got. A Catholic friend was over-visiting and debating. Don't you just love it, dot, dot, dot? I mean, I love those moments. Uh, A Catholic friend was over-visiting and debating about Luther's beliefs versus the Catholic Church. He brought up what Luther said about be a sinner and let your sins be strong. Or translated another way, sin boldly, is what Luther once said. Um, And he brought it up as part of his viewpoint that Luther was flawed, as is the Lutheran church. And that the Catholic church, the true church uh, Christ established. Can you give us your take on what Luther meant by that strange statement? Thanks. You know, here's how I'd like to answer that. Here's another crazy statement out there. Um, I tell you the truth that unless you hate your father, all right, very apropos for today, that unless you hate your father, you cannot be Jesus' disciples, all right? It goes beyond that. You got to hate your mother too, and and your sister, and your brother, and your kids. You got to hate yourself. You got to hate your own life, and you have to walk the way of death, pick up your own cross. Jesus said that. Um, more crazy than what Luther said. And sometimes I think what happens is people get so hung up on some kind of literalistic read or or non-contextual read uh, of of what any author 
including a biblical author or, or speaker, might say that um, it gets distorted. So what's Luther getting at when he says sin boldly? What Luther is getting at is the incredible gravity and extent of God's unlimited grace. Why sin boldly? Because Christ's forgiveness is so overwhelming, so complete, something that can be trusted so much that even when you sin boldly, you can still trust that God's blood and God's grace is enough to cover you. This is the entire conceptual framework that Luther was talking in. He's not saying go out and sin. He says, sin boldly, but trust in Christ's grace all the more. It's always good to finish a sentence, so hopefully that helps. All right, next one. Why do Catholics pray to saints? What is our view on this since we pray directly to God? With the risk of oversimplifying, within Catholic theology is this, this rooted idea about the necessity of becoming righteous or right in God's eyes. And through this, uh, the belief grew up that this righteousness could be gained or tapped into in a variety of ways. And one way is like this. There have been some just like powerhouse Christians, some top shelf believers in the past 2,000 years that when you look at their life, you go, holy. You know what I mean? Now, Within it came the idea that maybe they've got some righteousness to spare. And so it's like tapping their debit account. It's like they have leftover or extra merit that they can either give to you or account to you or advocate for you before the throne of God in heaven in some kind of way. Personally, I think it's flawed. I think the idea has a lot of um, mistaken theological assumptions because our righteousness comes from Jesus, I believe, in Jesus alone, and it comes in full without remainder, and we don't have to figure other, else's, other people's accounts, so to speak, to rob in the process. Good question. Here's another. How does this church, your church, view other faiths? It depends which faiths you're talking about. When it comes to other, uh, other, uh, other faiths that bear the Christian moniker and, and at their core belief are rooted in, in, in the Christian worldview, we view them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Whether they put the label Catholic or Methodist or non-denominational or Pentecostal or whatever might be after their name. We see that we have differences, but those differences are sometimes things to be celebrated and sometimes they're in areas that are debatable, but that doesn't separate us from being family. Now, from there, there's so many other faith traditions and belief systems in the world, and it really is a case-by-case -case scenario. Viewing what they teach, what they say, realizing you can sift good from bad from within it, but there isn't a blanket answer that will somehow apply to all faiths. Um, you can ask more specifically or text in if you'd like. I thought you taught us that putting ketchup on hot dogs was sacrilegious. Is FOF putting ketchup on the snack bar encouraging people to sin? As the senior pastor of this church, I inevitably take full responsibility for what happens within these walls. I repent before you, brother.
I did not know, but I should be on my game. Ushers, if you could make sure that the ketchup is removed immediately and spare these people's souls. Next question. Why don't we have website FAQ with some of these postings? Um, it's a really good idea. I don't really have a good answer to that. Um, we are looking at doing a, a website rebrand this summer, and uh, this is something we'll throw in the hopper. We'll see if it's in our wheelhouse to manage and maintain, but uh, really like the idea. Yeah. Do you like mac and cheese? It depends who's making it. Can you shed some light on the supernatural or, quote, gifts, such as ESP and Reiki healers, prophets like Nostradamus, etc.? Can humans truly possess such gifts, or can only Jesus have healing or prophetic gifts? Let me go to the question specifically at the end. Can humans truly possess such gifts? Um, yeah, I believe so. I believe so. It doesn't mean I believe that everyone who comes along claiming to have it or who comes up with a methodology about getting it, that it's correct. But yes, I think there are, are, are complexities and mysteries and, 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 and transcendent powers behind the, the five-sense reality that we see. And can only Jesus have healing or prophetic gifts? No, no, others can. You see throughout the Bible, God granting his followers, Jesus as well, what we would call supernatural gifts. But may I warn you, you see Satan doing the same thing. So just because a gift is cool doesn't mean it's good. And in all of these things, my encouragement to you is to embrace the gift package that God has given you and rejoice in that. Instead of seeking out the bizarre and the esoteric, if God wants to give you the power to heal, you will know he will give it to you. Start praying and seeking him and let him work in those ways through you. Don't be fooled by powerful people just because they can bring flash and bang before your eyes. The scriptures even warn that in the last days, um, many will be deceived because of such things. Question. What does the Bible say about reincarnation, if anything? Does it exist on any level? The Bible is actually silent on the subject of reincarnation. It doesn't say anything. Does it exist on any level? I would say it seems not from a biblical perspective because the entire idea of, of reincarnation seems to go contrary to a biblical worldview and biblical teaching that you see beginning to end that talks about creation and the creation having a life to live after which there will be judgment and not getting caught into an endless cycle of do-overs again and again and again. What the Bible speaks of is resurrection, not reincarnation, as the reality of world and our hope. How does one reconcile their belief in what the Bible says with idea that we live in a country built on the freedom to believe as one wants to believe? We just put these up word for word, so kind of sift through it. Given that we live in a society that accepts things like the LGBT lifestyle, so how does one reconcile their belief in what the Bible says um, with the idea in a country built on, on the freedom to believe what you want? 
the Bible is not nearly as concerned with the political landscape and the laws of the land as it is with your personal response, whatever might be going on in the country you live. Whether a free place like the United States or, 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 or a more controlled place like a communist China or even in other places like, like an old Soviet bloc um, Cold War reality. So I'm trying to sift out maybe what you're getting at, but I think the way I want to answer this to just kind of fish here is to say, if the Bible says something is wrong and the world says it's right, well, let your loyalty be to the Bible, but that doesn't mean you need to go root out and hunt out those who think otherwise. Likewise, if the Bible says something is right and, 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 and your culture or, or society says something is God calls you to faithfulness in that regard as well. But the joy of living in a nation where people are free to believe non- and anti-biblical things is that suddenly faith is no longer coerced. Suddenly, faith is no longer masked or hidden or, 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 or couched up wrong-spiritedly. So embrace the freedom God gave you to talk openly about what you believe and lovingly to those who might think otherwise. Let me take another. How did the asteroid that killed dinos not destroy the Earth? I'm not really sure an asteroid did kill the dinos, so that, that's speculative to begin with, um, and theoretical, even though we've been pounded over the, year, the years, like it seems like the last 10 years, over the, the millennium um, by big rocks, but um, call up an astronomer, call up a, a geologist on that one, call up a climatologist or something like that. that, that one's a little bit out of my field here, guys. The more I struggle with my life spinning out of control, I feel less and less that God is, is, is there. I know he is here with me in my darkest moments, but damn, I'm finding myself questioning my faith more and more. Can I just encourage you on that journey? I know it ain't a fun road to be on right now, but I think of the psalmist too saying, even when I walk through the deep, dark shadow, which is often translated the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I get it. I do. And for whatever reason you might be in that valley right now, I don't know. But what God invites us to do is to trust him, even when reality leads us to think and believe otherwise. Should I fear God? Yeah, yeah. The scriptures is filled with this idea, this command, this just statement of what is good. Should you fear God? Yeah, absolutely. Let me go to some of the live text in now. Who answers your questions and doubts when you can't discern them from the Bible or other sources? Do you have any fear and doubt in your walk with Jesus? I'm going to answer the last question first. Do I ever have any fear or doubt in my walk with Jesus? You better believe it. Absolutely. And I'll tell you this, in many ways, the more I walk with him, 
the more I realize he leads me into more and more uncomfortable and even dangerous places. Sometimes the closer you get to God, the more fear and doubt you have to deal with. And that's okay. And who answers your questions and doubts when you can't discern them from the biblical or other sources? I don't know if you're asking me specifically like, Dave, you, or if you're asking it in, in a more general sense of how do you sift it. But what I like to see in the scriptures is, is what I call God's trifecta. Three ways that he gives us to kind of navigate through these times when we don't have what I would call a, 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 a straight-up command to a situation. And the three sources are this. Scripture, conscience, and other believers slash the church. All right? And here's how it works. The Bible is our ultimate authority. And finding biblical answers is not really so much about looking for a specific verse that will answer my specific question, but having your mind and attitude shaped on a biblical trajectory that teaches you how to live within a biblical story line. Does that make sense? But sometimes that can be hard, and sometimes that can be confusing, which is why God gives us a conscience. It's how his spirit works in our lives. But sometimes our consciences can be, well, dismissed, ignored, seared, and cauterized in certain ways, have, have become insensitive, to which is why God gives us a church, because what this is about is us doing the journey together, the collective wisdom of what God is not just doing in me, but in all of us that can speak into each other's lives in these, these, these moments. And, and what church is at its best is when people can come together who are really taking seriously the journey of God in life and wrestling it out together and not just in the private, secret places of their soul. So keeping this, 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 this trifecta of scripture, conscience, and the church in a certain kind of rotating balance is a multiple way that God can help you when you find yourselves in those situations. And so for me personally, it's been the same. Trying to adopt a worldview and mindset of the Bible by learning the story more and more, by trying to keep my conscience soft in God's hands through dealing with my own sin and practicing things like repentance daily and making sure that I don't isolate myself or lock in alone, but leaning into others that I trust. And I encourage you to do the same. There's a whole church of people here that would love to help you in that journey. Great question. Okay. Why does Arthur say that the meaning of life is 42? So the Arthur in question, I'm assuming, is, is one of our staff members here just brilliant theological mind, and he teaches a lot of our studies. He's doing one actually this moment right now on Old Testament backgrounds. And um, I, I wasn't there when Arthur quoted it, but I can tell you what his answer will be, and I'm not making this up. This is actually it, because it is six times seven. All right, how about this? They have assisted suicide for people that are terminally ill. I was taught growing up that it is a sin taking your own life. But I so understand not wanting to suffer or put loved ones through agony. Help me slash us understand. I'll tell you, I understand it too. We put an animal out of its misery. 
why wouldn't we do the same for a human being? Have you ever asked yourself that? Been there? Wrestled with it personally? I remember when my stepdad was dying of cancer, wired up on machines for weeks, going, how long, O oh Lord? What do we do? What you see in the Bible, though, is this idea that especially when it comes to human life from all other life, that there is something qualitatively different, something special. Permit me the cliche. Something sacred to it. Something that even when someone is broken and suffering, that God still looks at that life and says life is good. And there's not this idea you see in the Bible that we have to fight for life or stay alive at all costs. I'll tell you, there is something better by far. And it is okay to say, Lord, have your way with me. I'm not going to fight this. Take me when you're ready. But for some reason, you don't see in the Bible this idea of God calling for people to intervene in the process. Sometimes we're called to suffer. I hope I never get that calling, but it's not mine to choose. Sometimes God permits it for a season. And we can't see often more than a step ahead. And God invites us to trust him and seek his grace and his mercy in times like that and help people through whatever that journey might look like, even in an end-of-life kind of situation. Have you ever heard of a demonic possession? Is it true? Have they really happened? Yes, I have heard of them. I have heard of them multiple times and not like a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend kind of thing. Um, in closer and more intimate ways, yes, I do believe in some cases they are actually true, though I do prefer the term demonization over the term possession. That is a deeper um, field in its own right. And... Um, I've just seen way too much in my life to think that sometimes it, can, it can't be written off as, as mental illness or, or other factors. And uh, if you'd like to get more into this or see some sources or, or, or talk to some missionaries, um, come find me after service. All right? Let's do uh, this one. If paper was limited back then, how was the Bible made? Just because something is limited doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It was limited, but they had it. They had vellum, they had parchment, they had other things that they wrote on. And uh, it's fascinating that, that Christians were, were pioneers of technology. They were the first to use this, this great new technology called the book, um, going from scrolls. And in uh, this kind of technology existed way before New Testament times. It existed back into Old Testament times. Uh, but keep in mind, too, that often it was transmitted orally in those very early years. Don't think of it as an either-or, are we oral or are we written, but it was both, with a heavy emphasis on the oral, too. All right, let's go back to some of the questions from last time. I find that the version of the Bible, the message, is much easier to read and understand. What is your feeling on that? My feeling on that is that I, too, find the message to often be much easier and read to understand. And it makes me feel good. When the Israelites were in the wilderness carrying the Holy of Holies, specifically they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, one man stumbled. A bystander, not a Levite, touched the Holy of Holies. It's actually he touched the Ark to keep it from falling. 
He was trying to be helpful. Why did God strike him dead? If you don't know the story, it's this. They're transporting the ark, and it's supposed to only be carried by the Levites and on these poles. And, 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 and they're not doing it right. They put it on a cart, and it like hits a rock or a ditch, and it starts to stumble, and it starts to tip. I mean, the image you got to get in your mind is like pallbearers carrying a casket, and one stumbles like, oh, it starts to go down. This guy, his name is Uzziah, actually, if I remember correctly. He puts his hand out to steady the ark on the spot, striked, struck down. Um, why did God strike him dead? Well, you mess with powerful, holy, potent things, you don't walk away unaffected. Touch the sun, you will get burned. There ain't no getting around that. But, you know, you do see this, this stream throughout the Bible. I think of Exodus 19 when they're gathered at Mount Sinai. And God commands them, don't come up on the mountain. Don't even come near it. Put boundary markers all around it so people not know not to come by and get fried. You know, you don't want Raiders of the Lost Ark happening to you, right? You don't want your face melting off because you've come too close in the presence of a holy God. And it says, even if an animal should cross the line, strike it down, shoot it with an arrow from afar. Don't go close to it yourself. So you see that there's this idea that not even ignorance is an excuse for violating the commands of God. This is why the rabbis were drunk with meditating on Torah, to know who this holy God is and what he's about and how he's worked because it has consequences. Good question. How about this? Humans are capable of such beautiful and horrible things. Did God intend this? And why? Or did we become that way merely because Adam and Eve disobeyed God and he left us to figure life out on our own? You know, I'm going to answer it surprisingly. God did intend that we be capable, underlying capable, of beautiful and horrible things. God is capable of beautiful and horrible things. But just because we're capable doesn't mean God wants us to do horrible things. Just because we can doesn't mean we should. And the Bible's so much about that. Going, yeah, you can do this. It's in your power. But don't. That's not my way. And so there is something intrinsic to, 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 to our freedom and creativity and abilities that allow us to such things, but that doesn't mean it's what God wanted. All right, let me do this one. Should I fear that God will strike me down with a lightning bolt for my sins, even though I continue to ask for forgiveness? No. No. Do you remember sin boldly, but trust in God's grace, trust in Christ all the more? You're forgiven in Christ. Your punishment has been paid. There are no lightning bolts hovering in the sky ready to strike you down because of some unrepentant sin or because somehow you flipped out of grace with, with, with Christ if you're in him. No, if you're in Christ, trust in his goodness, trust in his grace, trust in the God who says you are forgiven and own it. Own it hard. 
All right, how about this? Did you ever answer how old do you have to be to take communion? Yes, yes, I did. Are the brats done yet? No. No, they are not. All right. Is there any more that I have from last week? Give me the last one. Can we go back to the chairs being in a U-shape again for a while? It gave FOF a different feel. Not better or worse, but a different perspective for a while. Let me just tell you personally, I am so with you. For those of you who weren't with us in that season, um, there was a few years where arrangement instead of rows was kind of like in a big semicircle or round. Um, it was even more than that. It was like almost a complete octagon. And uh, I loved it. I loved the sense of community and togetherness that it brought. But let me tell you why we stopped. To this day, when we have Lent services and Advent services here, I continue to set these first rows of chairs up so they, they sit face by face. Do you know where everyone sits? And the back ones that face forward. For whatever reason, it was just way too out of the comfort zone of way too many people. And that's unfortunate, but that's where we're at as a church. And that, that's not a slam, so don't, don't hear that in there. But, but people don't like to have other people watch them sing. Um, and then, for whatever reason, everyone with a two-year-old insisted on sitting in the front and thinking that the middle was a playground. Um, and there was all these kinds of practical problems that, that it brought up. So, no, it's not necessarily gone forever. And I think there will be times where we might re revisit it on occasion, but that's some of what, what went behind it. Great one. Let me take a couple more textins, okay? Does the father and sons... Um, does the father and son have the calves or the warriors tonight? All right? The warriors. I get that God made humans in his own image. But why make us the only beings on earth that have theory of mind or metacognition? Can I start by asking you this? Isn't it a little bit arrogant on your part to assume that? Just because you can't communicate with a species doesn't mean it's stupid. Maybe you're stupid. Maybe there is awareness among certain species on this planet that exists. Now, I haven't learned how to speak cricket yet. How about you? The intricacies of what happens in the rest of the, 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 the living creatures of this universe is something beyond me, but I would not be too quick to jump. Being said, within the Bible, you do see this compared to all species on earth right now. And whatever species may be discovered someday in solar systems or galaxies long, long ago and far, far away, even if they are more advanced, God made humans in his image. Making them in his image does not necessarily give them soul rights to metacognition. But there is something different and special about you. You are the crown jewel in God's creation. And guys, I am here to tell you today that we got through every single question. All right? It ends today for now. But keep asking questions. And can I encourage you, as you're asking questions about God, life, spirituality, the Bible, FOF, may I encourage you that you don't have to wait once a year for this series to come around.
I want you to know this is a church where we invite questions and we encourage you to keep asking them. And we will not judge you in those questions. We will be an open book with you. And I am just an email, a phone call, or a conversation away. Anytime, except 3 a.m. All right? Wait till morning if you have it then. God bless, guys. Communion today. Our Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, and it's given for you. And after supper, he took a cup. He gave thanks, and he gave it to them. And he said, drink of this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take a moment to prepare our own hearts, <clears throat> to root out any sin in our own life and confess it to God, to seek his grace and his mercy, and to choose to trust him and to commit our lives to walk in him today. These are prerequisites of this meal that God wants to share because there is something potent here as well. And it's something that God wants to do in you. So open your heart to him. Let's pray. God, we come. Sinners, messed up, wounded, ugly, and full of baggage. Forgive us, God, we pray. Forgive us when we hide from it, deny it, ignore it, or treat it lightly. Forgive us, God, when we do it once, when we do it a thousandfold. Forgive us. Forgive us when we take it for granted. You suffered and died for us, and it cost you a lot. May we never treat that as something as trivial. Through the blood of your Son, wash over us with your Spirit. Bring us that forgiveness. Root our hearts and minds deeply in your love and grace. 